students can say, you mean I can write the question? And my teacher will give me feedback, but they're not telling me what questions to ask. And that's a, a beautiful thing that can be exciting. It can be a little scary. And it for some students, it's the first time where they might have the opportunity to pose the questions and not simply respond to questions that are being posed to them. Welcome to How to Have Kids Love Learning, where we explore ideas and strategies for parents and educators that help students thrive. I'm your host, Ed Madison. I'm a professor and researcher at the University of Oregon and serve as executive director of the Journalistic Learning Initiative, a nonprofit organization that empowers middle and high school students to discover their voice, improve academic outcomes, and become self-directed learners through project-based storytelling. Teaching students to become effective communicators is at the heart of JLI's work. Well, welcome to the second installment of How to Have Kids Love Learning, um, our podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Ed Madison. I'm a co-founder and executive director of the Journalistic Learning Initiative and an associate professor at the University of Oregon School of Journalism and Communication. And today we'll be speaking with Melissa Wants and Rachel Golden, who both helped design JLI's Effective Communicators course. Melissa is a former middle and high school English teacher with 20 years of classroom experience. Um, before that, she was a print reporter, a newspaper columnist, and communications consultant. all experience that has proved invaluable um, when she joined JLI to help us design our Effective Communicators program, which we'll talk about later. Rachel is a uh, PhD, recently minted uh, through the University of Oregon. She's also a visiting assistant professor at Denison University in Ohio, a former public school teacher who's also taught English at the elementary and middle school level, among other subjects. Um, her classroom experience, along with her research, focuses on media literacy and she helped co-design the instructional materials for effective communicators. They're also both good friends. And so I'm excited to have uh, you on our uh, one of our early episodes here of, um, of our podcast series. Um, I, I wanna start by maybe just talking about, um, broadly speaking, what are some of the big challenges educators are facing today um, post COVID um, in this sort of politically charged world? And let's just go right into the thick of things. <laughs> Yeah, Ed, you're not wasting any time at all. Hopping right in there. Um, thanks for having us on. It's great to be able to chat with both of you about these important issues. Um, so I'm operating at the, um, the undergraduate level right now, but I'm seeing with my students, uh, and I'm imagining it's really similar at um, the secondary and at the primary levels as well. My students have expressed very clearly to me that they are just dealing with a, a lot of anxiety. Um, they are anxious and nervous about so many things. And I think that's at the forefront of what educators are experiencing right now, that students are coming out of the, um, you know, the post-COVID two years or one and a half years in a remote setting. Students are relearning how to be engaged with each other. They're relearning social relationships. Um, they're kind of moving out of that, um, moving out of that online environment and back into in-person engagements. And with that comes stress and uncertainty of 
how do we talk? How do we have disagreements? How do we engage with each other in respectful ways? Um, and I think some students are, you know, have a little bit of fear of what happens if I put an idea out there and it's not right or it's not well received or I say something and it comes out wrong and it's maybe not what I agree with, but now that's who people think I am. Um, and I think that reflects a lot of our political climate, you know, that draws from the political climate, but also um, our media environment too, where there's so many hot takes and there's so much that gets posted online and these things come back later and cancel culture and all of these things are really shifting and shaping the way that kids feel comfortable expressing themselves and communicating to each other. Mm -hmm. Melissa, right. thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, I agree, Rachel, and you're in the classroom this term. Um, I don't happen to be in the classroom, but I am related to teachers and uh, administrators, and I'm hearing the same things. And I think it, you know, it goes back to the pandemic was very traumatizing in a lot of small and big ways for some people, um, and probably for everyone in in at least at least some degree. And I know, like just for myself, um, getting back into the work working world, working in person, collaboratively, even just going to events. Um, went to Hamilton yesterday here in, in the city and sitting around, you know, all these people and find myself and my husband talking to some people next to us. And all of a sudden I'm oversharing because, you know, I don't apparently know where my conversational limits are or what's, you know, I'm not quite sure like what's appropriate. It's I'm sort of rusty, you know, with um, just being in, in um, person with people. And um, I think zoom, you know, for, the ways that it does connect us and um, uh, virtual chat was great during the pandemic for at least allowing school to go forward. But it also sort of gave us places to sort of hide when we go to talk to people or work with people, um, or maybe it perhaps let us um, be a little more bold. And now in person, those types of characteristics aren't necessarily beneficial in a classroom. So I think teachers are really seeing a lot of kids all over the map from anxiety to belligerent, even um, discipline issues. I've been hearing over and over again um, that they're, they're really struggling. Like the kids missed a substantial part of what it means to be a student um, during very formative years, especially if it was middle school. And so yeah. they're, um, they're struggling. And I, I think even, you know, I'm hearing particularly like second and third grade where not only did they skip a period, but they were, were never really introduced to what we consider classroom decorum, you know, wait your turn, raise your hand, you know, uh, and, and that this is really causing a problem for a lot of, a lot of teachers, a lot of educators. Yeah. Um, I think, Ed, it's also, I think it's also worth acknowledging that on top of all of this, teachers are tired too. And so they're doing this all under the burden of exhaustion. And I, I want to make space for that because, <laughs> it's very real coming out of the the pivots and the changes and the challenges and then um, being asked to get back to normal. There's that, I don't think we've had a recuperation time for teachers to be able to rest and even process really what's been going on in a way that can allow them to effectively integrate their experiences and move forward with it. So that I think that exhaustion piece is really real. And I think students are feeling that too. I think students are tired much sooner um, in this, at least for me, they're tired much sooner in the semester than I would have expected. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about um, effective communicators a little bit, because I think it will allow us to talk about some other topics. And 
and and collectively, you know, maybe we can kind of address like why we thought communication specifically was was an area of emphasis that um, could utilize some additional attention in secondary education. Um, and maybe the place to start is because it's informed by journalism. And I think when people think about journalism classes or programs, they think about the school paper that, you know, is kind of a traditional piece of it, but we're doing something quite different. Either of you want to speak to that, like the need and also what, what the approach is? Um, sure, I can give it a shot and then Rachel can fill in. Um, so Effective Communicators is a basically a project, a trimester or semester long writing project that uh, utilizes pretty much every communication skill that's important for people going into the adult world of work or further study or just you know, social life. Um, the project takes, you know, anywhere from 10 to 12 weeks, um, and it takes students from um, an inquiry stance, an issue they care about, through the research phases of that issue, media literacy and news literacy skills are built into that um, research process, to identifying people in their community that are working on these issues that they can interview and bring into their classroom, and then using the information that they gather to synthesize into uh, an article that is produced for the general public, for the adult you know, public or their peers, and published online um, so that other people can benefit from the research that they've done. And so um, at every stage, there's just different communication skills that are used in this project. And it's it really sort of calls out some of the hidden, what I would call the hidden communication skills that are necessary. So for example, um, how to write a professional email to inquire um, if someone is willing to come be a, an interview source. Um, a lot of teachers just kind of assume that their students already know how to write a professional email, but that's just one of those little communication skills that don't really fit into any one grade level or any one standard as, as far as I know. Uh, and so it's just who's, who's ever really specifically directly taught that skill. And it's something that can benefit them for the rest of their lives, knowing how to professionally draft an email um, that is specific and, you know, not overly long and not too short. It's just something that they shouldn't really have to learn when they're applying for jobs. They should just come out of school knowing how to do that. So that's just one practical communication skill. The interview itself is a big communication skill. Um, oftentimes, I don't think, I think students do presenting to each other in class or they do small discussions, pair share type of things in class, but uh, they're not necessarily actually interviewing an adult with their own questions to seek information. And that kind of um, experience is very beneficial because as you know, as we all know, in an interview, things can go in any direction. Um, there's very many decisions that have to be made sort of on the fly based on what you're hearing or how the other person's responding. Um, and yes, you need to be prepared, but you also need to be willing to throw those questions out and go down a different track. Um, and that's just, it's fun and it's, it's interesting, but students just don't really get that experience. And in this project, they do. So those are some of the communication skills that we build into um, the instructional materials and teachers so far have been you know, pretty happy to have that kind of structured activity that's also cohesive. It's not just 
oh, let's just interview some random people to get experience interviewing. It's actually part of a almost a passion project for the kids. Mm-hmm. Rachel, did you want to speak to that? Um... Yeah, I just think what's really um, valuable about what Melissa was just talking talking about is that there's writing and there's listening and there's speaking and it's all authentic. Um, the, the the students can see that you know there's that they're they're working on these skills and building these skills, but they're doing so in an authentic way. So it doesn't it's not contrived. Um, it's not like Melissa was saying just between classmates or for the purpose of a grade, but there's a product that comes out of it. And in our current, um, in our current world, uh, communication is more valuable than ever, whether you are um, listening or you are working or you are speaking or um, giving a, you know, you're giving a speech or you are communicating visually. I mean, like, Communication is just everywhere. Being able to tell a story, be able to being able to construct an idea and cohesively articulate an argument or your thoughts is so valuable today. Um, and giving students a foundation through a, almost like an investigative approach, right? They've got to figure out the who, what, where, when, why, and how. Um, it, I th- I see that as really meaningful for students um, and directly translating to their ability to participate in our uh, in in our world, not simply as like consumers or as workers, but also as citizens. Mm-hmm. And if you could speak a little bit about how it aligns with the standards, uh, Melissa, I've I've heard you say it's it's like a. a, a superpower shake or something or (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's you know about six or seven years ago superfoods were all in the the media you know like chia seed is the superfood and um so yeah so i joke about that this project is a superfood for um for the ela standards the language arts standards uh so basically what we did is we you know we created this structure for this project for teachers to use and then we went back through the standards and sort of tried to identify which of the uh, career and college readiness standards um, were met by this project and at what stages. And um, I knew it was going to be close, like it was going to be, you know, a substantial number percentage of all of the um, English standards, but I didn't realize how, just how rich it what it really is. Um, it's about 90% of the standards are practiced in one way or the other throughout the um, length of the project. And so, um, it, that's pretty unique because usually English language arts curriculum, it's, um, it's still very much piecemeal. You know, you study a poem and you hit, you know, maybe 25% of the standards in that poem. Then the next week you go on to a short story or a news article and you read that and you write a little bit and things, um, can tend to feel in some of the curriculum, um, in, from the main publishers sort of, uh, piecemeal or sort of, um, fractured a little bit. And in this uh, project, the standards are woven in and students feel like they're making forward motion and they almost don't really even realize which learning targets, um, you know, the teachers are like kind of hitting for that day. So it is kind of like a superfood for instructional <laughs> materials for English language arts and um, it's pretty great. So. Mm-hmm. And, and let's just talk about... Um you know, sort of the journalistic approach. I mean, I know you taught both language arts um, and, and journalism, but there's, there's, there is something about the approach and certainly my own research speaks to this. I mean, I think, you know, um, 
Rachel used the word authentic, you know, um, the journalism oriented classwork may be the single time where, you know, a teacher turns to students and says, okay, what is it that you all want to explore today? And that's that in and of itself kind of taps those intrinsic interests. You know, it could be skateboarding, it could be, you know, any, any number of different topics. And you might think, well, yeah, you know, is, is that have value? But, you know, if kids are writing and doing research, they're writing and doing research and it, it helps them develop skills and, and practices that, that can be applied to more complex topics or things that we might want them to also learn about. But um, I don't know if you wanted to speak to that. I mean, they're just the journalistic approach itself and why that is distinctive. Yeah, I mean, I think the way that this project is really kind of separated out from a traditional research project in um, in school, in any school, in language arts specifically, is that students are really being asked not only what is your concern and what is an issue that the world should care about and that you can research, they're also breaking new ground. They're not just going over what's already been written and trying to like you know, be detectives and sleuth it out. Yeah, they're doing that to get a baseline of, you know, of a foundation of a foundational understanding of their issue that they've chosen. But they're going out into their community and they're they're really kind of connecting new dots that maybe perhaps haven't been connected before. And so they're exploring um, new territory in their community with real people who are unpredictable. Um, and I always tell teachers, you know, you don't you don't even know really at the start of this project what quest questions your students are going to be asking because they're they're coming up with the questions. They're based on what they care about or what they're learning so far, and that changes their questioning. Their line of inquiry can change who they're um, able to actually connect with in their community and what those community members say is going to change their further questions. So it's a true inquiry project breaking new ground, connecting community dots. And really, you know, that is also a thing that separates out this project from a traditional language arts project is they're connecting with people in their city, in their town, in their in their state, if they're going that far out in the world, really, some of the teachers are opening up the whole world to these students, and they're able to uh, video chat with somebody from another country from another state. Um, so that is something that is not traditionally seen in school outside of maybe a publications class. And we're bringing it into a, just a traditional, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth through 12th grade English class. Yeah. And, and I'd like to add, I mean, I think for a long time, um, students, particularly in affluent communities and schools have, uh, their parents and the students have realized the benefit of journalism, but often, uh, for kids who are considered struggling, uh, and who are assigned to take remedial English, which is kind of more of often what hasn't worked for them, they don't really have the option of um, this kind of approach because it's mostly considered an elective and they don't have the room in their schedule to actually take it. So it's really mainstreaming what's been accessible and what many other kid, kids and families have known for some time, even though we always say we're not doing journalism per se, when we're not trying to, you know, uh, cultivate the next generation of journalists. If that's a byproduct, that would be great. But we just think that all kids benefit from this approach. You know, um, Rachel, I don't know if you wanted to add something. Yeah, I, the only thing that I can add on, because I think Melissa said all of that very beautifully, is that this approach allows 
and and to some degree really requires the teacher to decenter themselves um, and allow students to take the lead. Students really are the engine moving this forward. And of course, the teacher has instruction and the teacher has to provide guidance, um, but it really is a guiding role. Um, students are not you know, students are not reliant on the teacher once they get into that writing and that um, investigating process. And I think that, again, is another place where agency really gets activated because students can say, you mean I can write the question and my teacher will give me feedback, but they're not telling me what questions to ask. And that's a, a beautiful thing that can be exciting. It can be a little scary. And it for some students, it's the first time where they might have the opportunity to pose the questions and not simply respond to questions that are being posed to them. I know many English teachers, a good majority of them, got into it because of their love of literature. And so when the, the Common Core, you know, sort of came out, it was a shock to the system in the sense of, you know, I'm not sure if I know how to teach that. So for educators and parents who, you know, who might be hearing this and thinking, yeah, I don't even know if I would know how to do that. Can you kind of explain a little bit about just the process by which we prepare teachers to, uh, to, to do effective communicators? Yeah. Um, so, and- yeah. So we, well, we have a fellowship that um, basically helps um, throughout the course of the year, helps, you know, give them access to uh, trainings, uh, program pro- professional development uh, materials that they can use on on their own time, um, self-paced, online, and it is a series of modules that gives them first a foundational understanding of sort of where we are um, in 2022 with media, uh, with newspapers in general, new, uh, journalism in general, um, and gives them that sort of big picture overview, bird's eye view of the media landscape, and then they dig into um, basically the stages of the project. They're walked through the important concepts of the project from, for example, the very first inquiry and um, journalism ethics lessons and the, then into the research and um, you know, the, sort of the cutting edge uh, ways to find good information and get through very quickly the, all the bad information that is still out there. And so each stage of the project, they are given previews of the lessons that we offer, the essential um, sort of instructional materials are presented to them sort of on a little plate during their training, and they're able to sort of access those, look at those in their own time uh, when they're feeling relaxed and feeling motivated. And um, I think it's really the way professional development for teachers should go. It should be more and more self-paced on their um, when they choose and um, materials that they choose to that are interesting to them that they find relevant um, and the surveys that we're getting back from the teachers that are going through this um, professional development are very positive. They're saying it's very relevant to their profession, to their teaching practice, um, and they find it very valuable at this point. Point and this is of course before they've taught the project. So and you get a good each have a, you've even created a, a podcast for each lesson, right? I mean, yeah. sure, the two of you. <laughs> yeah, Rachel, do you want to share about that a little bit? <laughs> yeah, so that's one of the, I think one of the, the, I don't know, for me, it's one of the more fun resources. And maybe it's just because I got to talk with you for a while about it, Melissa. Um, but we've got these short bite-sized podcasts that help teachers 
um, who choose to use them get acclimated with the lesson and think through some of the areas that they can shift or change, some areas that might be difficult, um, some things to watch out for, uh, just a, a little bit of a way to continue to provide that support. Um, aside from just here's a lesson plan, ready, set, go, but here's a lesson plan, here are some materials, and here's a little podcast from um, from us about what we think might be most beneficial for you to keep an eye on or keep your ear to while you're while you're teaching this lesson. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, I mean, it's probably appropriate to share that we have a, a, a book coming out through W.W. Norton, um, that we're all very excited about, put a, a long period of work into it. Um, you know, that's, uh, language arts in action, uh, is the main title of the book. And, um, and, uh, Esther Wojcicki, who's one of our, um, founders and who, uh, was, um, in the first episode of this podcast series, um, is uh, writing the forward for that. So we're pretty excited about that coming out. Um, and, you know, I guess um, we can sort of start to wrap up here soon. I think that, um, I think that for, for me, what's exciting about it, you know, and, and I mean, I share about my own background a little bit all the time, but I mean, I, you know, I was one of those odd kids who kind of discovered what I was interested in at a very, very young age, because, you know, I had a dad who was a journalist and, and, you know, I can't think of another, um, line of work where you're meeting interesting people all the time, you're engaged in telling stories, you're, you know, you, you learn a little bit about everything. Um, and, and it's just a great way sort of, you know, inquiry based learning has become, you know, a thing, but it's, you know, to be able to bring that to um, English language arts in the, in the way that we're doing, I think is very exciting. And we, we see it in the responses from the students who are um, participating. Um, so, you know, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I became a, a reporter right out of college, and I had been an English major in college at the University of um, California, Santa Barbara. And, you know, one minute, one week I was in, you know, my final English classes, and the next week I was an intern at a newspaper where everything I had learned about reading, writing, and analysis was immediately put to work. You know, and I love that the title of our book, Language Arts in Action, because it really, journalistic learning, it really is an active process. And you feel a sense of your own capacity as a human being, as a learner, as a questioner about life, um, and your communication skills are put to a very practical use of trying to connect with people to get information and then try to you know, synthesize and put that information together in a package that is understandable for very busy people who don't trust the news anymore. I mean, we're asking students to do just, you know, this huge, wonderful thing. And the teachers are saying, yes, we want to help them do that. Um, and I really think of it as growing democracy. You know, I, I think this project grows democracy at the grassroots level by connecting kids with, with their community around issues that are very, very important to them for their future that can possibly even help their mental health by giving them agency over problems that seem so vast to the adults and to the kids that we're all, you know, throwing up our hands saying what's going to happen. Um, and so in a very real way to me, this is some of the most meaningful work I've ever done, you know, from my two careers in communications and in teaching. 
And I'm, I'm very proud of the teachers that have said yes to this project. And, um, and I'd be very proud if any parents also, you know, wanted their students to be doing this kind of work. Um, it's very uh, timely and I think very important work. Um, and, and yet I don't want to overstate it. You know, it's, it's also fun. <laughs> I had a blast being yeah. a journalist, you know, yeah. every day waking up, what is, what is going to happen today that I'm going to get to be part of? Um, right. So I, I'm a huge journalism believer. And even if you can't make a lot of money at it, I still say, go, if you want to do it, do it. <laughs> yeah. Any closing thoughts, Rachel? Um, yeah. So, I mean, as a media literacy scholar, I think there is so much value that I see in having students go through the journalistic process. Like Melissa said, trust in media, trust in news is at an all-time low. And I think um, having students engage in that process helps them understand the media that they consume, the media that they engage with that much better. Um, and we know that we're, we're never going to live in an age where there's no media. Um, we're never going to live in an age where there's no news. In fact, we are probably only going to get more information. And so giving students a toolbox to think critically through the information that they engage with, that they interact with, to be able to ask critical questions, to be able to develop thoughts and reflections on um, on what they're encountering. Uh, I see that as a way for students to become active citizens. I really see that that piece of, of news and media literacy is a direct lifeline to me for citizenship and for civic engagement. And I think for me, that seems really valuable now, maybe more than ever in my life. And so I'm excited to um, be a part of it. And I'm really excited to see what happens with the students and the teachers, particularly this year, um, who are continuing to explore and, and engage this project. Yeah, and it's exciting to report that we've you know tripled our numbers in terms of teachers participating. We're now you know in excess of 60 um, teachers involved in, in uh, four states, um, you know, Washington, Idaho, uh, Oregon, and then we also have our, our friend down in Arizona. So um, uh, it's exciting to see it grow. Um, for anyone wanting more information, if you go to journalisticlearning.com, there's a tab at the top for effective communicators, and you can learn more about the fellowship program. I thank you both. Um, this has been a delight, and uh, we'll do it again at some point soon. Thanks. Great. Thank you for having us. Thanks. How to Have Kids Love Learning is produced by the Journalistic Learning Initiative. For more information about our work, please visit journalisticlearning.com. <laughs>